I think one of the best things you can do is uh, be uh, involved with your college. Uh, they did provide you with the education and the background and most likely helped you get a job uh, after, the, after you graduated. And I think then it's the time to get back in involved. The bison, 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 the bison. Hello, Bison. Today I sit here with an alumni who traveled all the way from California to be with us. Bob Kuppenheimer, who prefers to go by Cuppy, is a 1969 Nichols graduate who studied business and finance and went on to work for Nuveen Investments for 40 years. Currently, Bob runs his own consulting firm, RBK Advisors, although his LinkedIn title is semi-retired. Cuppy has been a longtime member of the Nichols College Board of Trustees, has established an endowed scholarship, and most of our listeners will recognize his name, which appears on the residence hall, known in the 90s as New Dorm, today named Cuppenheimer Hall, which is not a coincidence. Bob joins us to talk about his role as a college trustee, how he established a successful career in the investment world, why an alumni should stay involved at their alma mater, and we'll even get into wine drinking and fly fishing. Welcome to the Nichols College Alumni Experience, Cuppy. Thank you. I hope the West Coast timing isn't hitting you too hard this morning. I know you flew in uh, last night. Last night, right. Oh, boy. So let's get right to it. You graduated from Nichols in 1969 and have since taken a very active role in Nichols. So let's start out. Let me ask you, what was it that inspired you to get involved with Nichols? I believe that Nichols uh, made my future, if you will. Uh, I got a, a summer job. I was just telling a group of students between my uh, sophomore and junior year because I had a classes that I had taken in accounting and the company that hired me eventually hired me right out of, uh, out of Nichols after my senior year. And, uh, but they hired me for a summer job because I had two years of accounting at Nichols. I definitely would not have gotten that job if I hadn't, hadn't been for Nichols. It inspired me. I owe it to Nichols. Did you have Professor Katori for accounting? I had John Katori for accounting. He was terrific, not only teaching, but he took a personal interest in just as it seemed every student and uh, he really, really helped all of us uh, in accounting, which for us didn't come naturally. I didn't think we ever had an accounting class in high school. I know we didn't have an accounting class in high school. So uh, he really helped us through a, a freshman and sophomore accounting. So, so as we grow this podcast, the kind of goal is to, to get alumni to kind of tune in and, and, and listen and hear the stories, but also to get the uh, current students and younger graduates to tune in. So given the philanthropic spirit that you're pretty famous for here, as well as your role as a leader on campus, what would be your message for our younger students right now? You know, I, I think, to be honest with you, your first pick a number, three, five, six years out of college, maybe it's even 10, you're really uh, spending most of your time establishing yourself in the, mostly in the work world, maybe uh, uh, settling down, maybe family, it's the whole thing. And there's going to be a little less uh, opportunity to be involved in Nichols, to be honest with you. It doesn't mean it's out of your mind, you for, should forget about it. Certainly you want to stay in touch with uh, people in your class and professors because uh, I think that that's good. 
but uh, it's going to be a small involvement, most likely uh, for that uh, first 10 year period of time. But then as you start to get established and, and uh, you're looking for other things to do with your life, I think that one of the best things you can do is uh, be uh, involved with your college. Uh, they did provide you with the education and the background and most likely helped you get a job uh, after, the, after you graduated. And I think then it's the time to get back in involved. And you can get involved in a lot of different aspects. You can maybe get involved in alumni meetings out where, wherever you end up uh, living. Uh, maybe you start to write in with ideas for present college students about how your career went and why things at Nichols work. Maybe you even write in and say some of the things at Nichols that didn't work yeah. for you. And maybe that helps change the atmosphere for things that you maybe didn't think uh, worked. You want to, uh, uh, I think now with with uh, the computer systems that exist now, you can watch things on campus that you couldn't watch. I watched one of the basketball games oh, yeah. uh, on uh, YouTube, I think it was. Uh, the Amherst game? Uh, the Amherst game. Oh. Terrific. I mean, that didn't exist in my day and age. And so you can sort of stay in contact that way. Uh, maybe you set up a, uh, I'm not promoting Facebook, but maybe you set up Facebook account just for your class or something like that uh, uh, to stay in touch with everybody. But this hundreds of ways that you can figure out how to stay in touch. Then you start coming back maybe for some visits and things like that. Uh, not just for an alumni weekend, but maybe, you know, to do some other things if you're in the area. There's a lot of things you can volunteer to do. Our board and, and, and the strength of our board, I think, is, is one of the, the huge strengths that, that we have here among many. The landscape of higher education is going right now that our robust board and, and more importantly, us being a business college and having so many successful executives, I think that helps us quite a bit. I, I agree. It, I think it helps and also because they have, as you said, a lot of the graduates have been successful. They have a vested interest in the college. Uh, the college helped them get there. I mean, each person at college helped them to a different degree, mm -hmm. certainly, but they all recognize that the college was an important part of their beginning of their careers, the, the, the knowledge that they gained here, the friendships they gained, the uh, sports even that they played or some things like that. I think that you feel a, an obligate, a good obligation to give back to the college to make sure that it not only thrives today, but it thrives in the future. Uh, because, you you know, it, it, it's, be, it's an important part of your life. Heading, if you don't mind, if we head into your career for a bit, I know that a lot of students that are studying finance, you know, may think that the only way to find great success in the industry is to go the route of hedge fund manager, venture capitalist, or, you know, some kind of similar path. But, you know, obviously you found some success, out, some great success outside of that general track. Can you describe what your roles were when you were working with Nuveen and sort of run through the career progression of your 40 years there, kind of a little blueprint, you know, for students who might be interested in, in going down the same path? Sure. Actually, when I joined Naveen, uh, I had worked for two large companies before that, Payne Weber, which is now UBS, and New England Life, which is now part of uh, MetLife, I believe. And uh, Naveen had come along. I had actually done some work with Naveen through New England Life and asked me to start a division for them that would sell Naveen's investment products. I started basically a ground floor operation. When I joined, I was a department of one, traveled all over the, uh, all over the country, uh, visiting 
other insurance companies to get them to their brokerage division to put our products on their platform uh, and uh, teach their uh, insurance agents, which were, were licensed to sell investment products, teaching them how to sell municipal bonds, in this case, in the marketplace. After three or four years, I they gave me a small sales force, about uh, four or five people around the country to keep building it up. And uh, we built it up to about 18% of the company's uh, overall business in the marketplace. So still the majority of the business came from the traditional stock brokerage houses and uh, places like that. And then uh, in 1986, the company asked me to take over the sales of the entire corporation. In 1991, we became the second largest seller of investment products in the world, wow. even though we only sold municipals. <laughs> Uh, second only to Fidelity. Fidelity in 1991 was number one, and we were number two. So we we built up quite a an organization only on municipal bonds in the marketplace. And uh, by 1995, uh, I like to say that the senior management of which I was part of uh, got sick of my act. Yeah, okay. So they uh, asked me to move from Chicago to California to put in on some uh, do some special projects. But I uh, had a wonderful, wonderful career doing, like I said, special projects. So would one have to major in finance to find that type of success in your industry? How, how imperative would be knowledge of the complexities of the market and macro and microeconomics to, to a role like that? I think it's uh, small. Actually, uh, I don't think you need finance as a background. I think you have to have a general understanding of finance and economics, but I think you need more marketing uh, I would say marketing and management are probably two more important aspects than finance or economics. It seems sort of rare these days anyways, maybe, to stay with the, co the same company for so long. I think that the trend uh, a lot of uh, recent grads believe is that in order to advance quicker, they have to shift companies kind of uh, more often. W would you say that you see that trend today as a manager, or I guess what would the pros and the, the cons be of uh, staying with one organization for, uh, uh, for quite a long time? Actually, I think job hopping is still one of the best ways to go. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> I think this, it was fairly unique in Naveen because when I joined the company, there was only 150 employees and I left New England Life, I can't remember how many, 2,000, 3,000 employees. At a big company like New England Life, which was a wonderful company, a super company, it just took longer to advance uh, because there were other people above you and you know there weren't a lot of jobs to move into or right. openings or something like that. Whereas when you start with a company like Naveen with 150 employees at the time, it was growing, it was changing its business quickly, so there was a lot of opportunities to uh, move at Naveen and do, do other things at Naveen or to grow the business that you were in. And so I think it re that's why I stayed 40 years and, and enjoyed it so much. But I, I really think it depends on what company you, mm -hmm. you go with and the size of the company and the philosophy and the culture and... So many things, and I don't think you can give an overriding answer to that. And, and that's what the students seem to be most worried about, is kind of building that career as a 20-year-old. And I guess a lot of people 
you know, would give him the advice, kind of ride it out, make smart decisions, see where you're going. But I, I, I think there's so much pressure on the students that the job that you start is going to be the one you end up with kind of oh, deal that, no. you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just told a group of students exactly what uh, I, I think that, you know, when you're in your 20s, especially uh, you go to a company and if it doesn't work out, don't feel bad about it, you know, type of thing. And you move on and you, there are other opportunities that might jump jump out of you know take them and if you make a mistake it's no big deal i mean you know you got if you make a mistake when you're in your 40s or 50s and you're you, you let's say you have a, a house and a family and everything like that then it's, it's it's a lot more difficult because there are obviously financial obligations that you've come under when you're in your in your 20s your financial obligation is usually you know what you've got to spend in the evening at the local establishment I guess switching kind of topics, that's a good uh, a good bridge. You know, I did want to get a little bit more into your hobbies, you know, your passions, the, the things you do now. You might not be traveling so much. I know that wine is a, a passion of yours, <laughs> one that I share. Uh, living in California, that's probably a understandable hobby to have. So do you invest in wine or are you just a wine enjoyer? As I always say, I'm, I'm, I'm not a collector, I'm a consumer. Uh, I have a lot. I do have a lot of wine. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say how many bottles of wine I have. I've been trying to deplete it unsuccessfully. <laughs> I, I, ju- I enjoy it. I don't buy it for investments at all. I did. Wow, it's got to be 20 years ago. Uh, sell a case of wine because a wine collector offered me what I considered a stupid amount of money yeah. for it. So uh, I let it go. But I, I didn't do it because I needed the money or anything like that. Yeah. But my idea is to uh, is to consume it, all of it. What, what is your What's your favorite wine? Whatever I'm drinking Whatever, that night. Okay. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's tough with the Chinese economy. I found as somebody who was enjoying wine with the economy booming and their wealth class skyrocketing. You know, I watched second or third label Grand Cru or or Napa Cab. Uh, second or third labels, they used to be $50. Now they're 150 to $200. The same thing with the bourbon um, now, the bourbon craze. So I, I think it's kind of interesting as a student with a business background to, to, to look at the industry now and kind of shudder and say, wow, I, I don't know if I'll be able to afford the good stuff anymore. But uh, Well, actually, everybody can afford the good stuff. The problem is the definition of the good stuff. The definition of the good stuff should be those stuff that you like, not what a critic likes. Mm. So if you find a bottle of wine that's $10 and you love, that's a great wine. <laughs> and it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be reading right to left, you should be reading left to right uh, type of thing and uh, not looking at the price. You should buy a whole bunch of bottles of wine that are in the eight, 10, 12, $15 range Try them out, find what you like, and then you buy it, buy it and drink it. I mean, you know, why, why listen to somebody else that might not have the same taste that you do tell you what you should be drinking? It's that way with beer, wine, I don't care what it is, food. Mm-hmm. You should eat, be, be consuming what you want, not what some critic tells you. It's an interesting thing. I, I, I do find a lot of the times they're right, but then certain times I have a, what is it, a 94 rated bottle. This is the worst garbage I've ever tasted. I also know that you're an average, uh, uh, an average, an avid uh, fly fisher. Done a lot of things over the years, but not fly fishing. What's the, what's the lure, no pun intended? It's uh, actually, there's been books written, philosophies of why fly fishing is, uh, 
is so spectacular. Some people think it's the pulling of something out of nothing. You know, it's, I, I'm, I'm not. I just enjoy. I enjoy being out. You know, in the wild, uh, you're, you're walking down a river, floating down a river, whatever it is. Uh, even even when it, the fishing isn't that good, it's just nice to be outside and you know seeing wildlife. I mean, I go to Alaska a lot, and you, moose and uh, elk and fox I've seen up there, and the bald eagles and everything like that, and it's gorgeous. And I've been to Argentina fishing and. Uh, Montana and places like that. I tried to get to Mongolia and only made it two-thirds of the way there and missed my flight, so <laughs> <laughs> couldn't do that. But the people who have been to Mongolia say that's spectacular and type of thing. So, you know, you get to see different parts of the world, get to have some fun fishing, being out there, camaraderie with the you know, people that like to do the same thing in the evening. It's, it's just it's very, very relaxing, too. So I, I guess the last question that I'm going to ask you is probably the... Uh the easiest one, and, and I plan to ask this question to most of my guests who come in. Uh, it should be a real simple question, but what, what would you say the secret of life is? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I do. You know, I think, it, you know, uh, I think you got to get enjoyment out of life. This, uh, you know, uh, I'm not so sure that's a secret of life, but uh, I, I think enjoyment's a big part of it. Uh, it's just hundreds and hundreds of things, thousands of things you'll do in your lifetime and you've got to you've got to get enjoyment out of some of the smallest and some of the largest things that you do in life. I'm not sure there's anything else for me that I can think of. I, I, I certainly don't have any secrets. Thank you, Cuppy, for chatting with us today and, uh, and for all you do to make uh, Nichols a better place. I think certainly the difference donors make at Nichols can't be mentioned enough. You know, having someone like Cuppy in the studio today definitely can help point out that the key to future success of Nichols College rests in the participation of all alumni. I think we all have the ability to, to make a difference here on this campus, and, and frankly, there needs to be a little cuppy in all of us. Welcome to the pen, the herd taking the court, we going for a win, we going for it all, we'll do it till we fall, so throw it up, kick it off, we was born ready to ball, we've been practicing all summer, up all night, the team's so focused, no more